listening to Real Talk on RCR, Reality Check Radio. You're on Reality Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Um, please send me an email. Send us your feedback, inbox at realitycheck.radio, and send me a text, 2057. I can't begin to tell you how wonderful that feedback makes us feel because we're doing our utmost to get this radio up and running and the feedback is our payment as it were so please uh, send us a note and we love the criticism now I'm a big boy at the start I wasn't ready for the criticism but I'm ready for a, a wee critique now and again I can handle it because I've got so much wonderful uh, feedback I can take a little bit uh, but we have got a very exciting uh, lady that we're going to interview now it's Joe Mackey, good morning. Good morning, Rodney. Now, what we're about to do is engage in some misinformation and disinformation, you and I, with our audience, aren't we? Yes. <laughs> and what we're about to do and talk about it isn't safe for people or that's how it would be declared. Yes. And in fact, you had a direct experience when you were going to speak, you were invited to speak or suggested to speak at a group looking at smart cities. And someone said, this is how you and I ended up in contact. Someone said, well, it'd be great to get Jo along because she can talk about, you know, this whole climate change stuff that underpins it. And the organiser, private citizen, said what? That it may scare the audience. So Ooh. she didn't want me to speak. So we're putting out, Joe and I, a little trigger warning. Because um, what uh, we are talking about um, apparently is misinformation, disinformation, is a little bit scary. Uh, we know the stuff or paper explicitly states that it won't report, and nor will the Herald, nor will TV One News, it won't report what we're saying today because that would be false balance and it doesn't want to amplify the misinformation that they say we're spreading. Now, we don't claim to be experts, Joe, do we? Not at all. But you have a master's in geology? Yes, I do. I can report that I have a master's in biology and a master's in economics. So if we bought into the rubbish that our government and experts spout, um, we would be doing quite well financially and be very busy yes. and be regarded as experts. Yes. But we are fringe and marginalised. For sure. Now, that's the trigger warning. Now we're into it. Tell us about yourself, Joe. How did you get into geology? Just as a general interest in science, I've always been a, a science girl. I'm a born and bred farmer. Um, looking at nature has been my thing um, because you need to follow nature as a farmer, see what's going on. And um, so I just literally just followed my interests as I went through school and then to university. And where did you go to university? Waikato. 
Waikato. And where did you grow up? Um, I was born in Auckland, so we had a farm out at Beachlands, and then we moved down to the Waikato. Nice. And grew up there. Dairy farming? Uh, sheep farm, then beef, and then dairy. And, so you're farming, and, and you're farming now? Yes, I am. I've got a little block of my own, um, but I relief milk for the farms around me. What does relief milk mean? Um, I'm the, when farmers have their staff, need their staff weekends off or they have their holidays, they call me in to fill in the gap. Oh, so wow. I'm, yeah, I go in and fill in when staff have their time off. And do you get paid like by the hour for doing that? How do, how do you get a, how does the contract uh, all, work? Yeah, all different with different farmers. Um, some it's paid by the milking, some it's paid by the hour, depending whether you do extra work. I'm also a calf rearer as well, so I rear calves for some farmers and then others I just milk for. So it's a bit of both. And so these are people just word of mouth or regulars yes, that you look I've after? I've never applied for a job. It's all been word of mouth. Isn't that great? Yeah. I now, just go um, I love geology. I grew up in North Canterbury. And I loved science, and I fell in love with animals and plants. Funnily enough, I don't like touching them. <laughs> <laughs> it's a terrible thing I have. Like, and I can remember having to cut up a dogfish and sort of holding it with one finger, um, <laughs> and feeling slightly sick. But I love the fear, and I've never been a pet person. But I love the theory and the science of how animals work and ecology and ecosystems, and I was worried about ecosystem collapse and overpopulation and all that stuff that was fed to us as kids. Yep. However, I, I'm now living in central Otago, and I believe if I had grown up here, I would have been a geologist. Really? Because Yes, because when you're sitting in North Canterbury, it's like just flat. And the ground is just something you stand on, right? Yes. I never thought of the ground as anything else than what you stand on. Obviously, in the distance, you can see the Alps, and then there's these wonderful braided rivers. But to me, I never realized how amazingly interesting that geology is. And when I come to Otago, it just amazes me, and I I can't get enough geology. And it's actually quite hard to get good reports. I go through resource applications for fun to just get the geological report because it's the only way I can find someone writing about the district in a decent yes. way. But you know, right where we are here in Arrowtown, I mean, this was just covered in, in ice 20,000 years ago. Yes. It's yes. hard to believe to me. And then when you see these vast moraines and channels cut and schist, channels cut by the ice and these moraines left, and you're just looking at that. To me, it's it's stupendous. And then schist, we've got a lot of schist, obviously, mm -hmm. and I can't remember the numbers, but that's – basically grey wacky sedimentary rock i think correct me if i go wrong pushed a so. long way down yeah. got enormously hot to make it just and then pushed up and it's like 400 million years old or something right yeah 
Yeah. That is a Power wonderful, a wonderful thing to understand. Yes. It's yes. like astronomy too. Oh. Because it gives you perspective. Yes. On time. Is that what you find? Yeah. Oh, yes. Um we think we think we can make a difference, you know, in how we can change the climate and make it perform, but we are so small. And when you look at the size of the sun compared to the earth and where we are in in the galaxy and in our, it, it, we're just so tiny. And without that perspective, we can be fooled. And we have been fooled. We're so amazingly minute. Yes. Um, and of course, it's funny to me because you want to do the minest thing to your property and the council demand all sorts of applications and reports and then there's this nature that's transforming the landscape as we speak yes um also too it gives you a perspective for our topic which is climate change yes Sure. So tell us, tell us how you got onto this climate change thing. Well, at first, um, I did, I did see, I thought, I did believe it, and thought, okay, yes, the climate's changing, and this doesn't, this is not good. What are we doing? But then, of course, because I haven't been institutionalised, and um, that's, I don't get paid to because you never worked as a geologist you were just no, carried on farming. I didn't know I never worked as a geologist so that's given me the freedom to actually research my own way and I'm not restricted to what I can look up and what I can't look up and so of course being a farmer you're out there in it every day and you get up in the morning and you realize that actually at 4 30 in the morning you're not putting your shorts and singlet on like you used to years ago. You're actually putting on your jeans and a T-shirt or jeans and a thermal right through the summer. And you're thinking, this is not global warming because years ago I would get up and put a short and singlets on. And so... <laughs> That's what, funny. I've always assumed that was because I was getting old. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> um, and so... I just follow geologists as well because it's a, because it's a huge interest of mine. I've just always followed people. And then I came across uh, Ian Plymer and a few others and you start and you read all their books and you think, yes, this makes more sense. And because I understand the science, not as it probably as a fully trained geologist who's worked in it all the time, but I know what they are talking about. And so I just follow along and followed that book and then another book and fact came across someone else and someone else. And then you put the the dots together. Pretty much all I've done is, is got research from lots of different people and pulled it all together. And it all seems to come to the same point, which it's, is that the CO2 thing is not, not it's real. It's a nothing. 
Yeah. It's not real. Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it, that there you were with a master's degree in geology, an yeah. intelligent person, and yet you believed it. Yes. And I believed it. And you believe it in hindsight without a shred of evidence. Yes. And you tell everyone it's true, right? Mm-hmm. You're thinking, you're looking back on it and you think, what made me think that? I know. We just we we just believed what we were told. Uh, at university, and, they started telling us then that New Zealand would become tropical. Yeah. And so it started to be, it, that's all I can remember was that one thing. Um, yeah, and, and, it's, it's, and it's just everyone around you thinks it's true. And yes. so it becomes, and I mean, you realise in life, 99.99% of what you think isn't something that you've researched and reached a conclusion on. It's just something you've imbibed around you. Yes. 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 But when you start actually looking into it and, and, coming across someone and reading their book and, and it just starts to awaken and open up. Hang on a minute. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That- and of course, what yeah. you've what what you and I have done is what gets dismissed is oh you did your own research. Yes. Oh, you went on the internet. Oh yeah. yeah. How stupid. Yes. That internet thing. You can yeah. find some of the most wonderful information on the internet, but they seem to turn it into that's the last place you should look for certain, you know. Um, well, but actually, there is so much out there we can find that we have never been able to find before. No. And I was lucky because uh, I'm a little older than you, um, actually enormously older than you, but <laughs> when – I was exposed to this. The scientific community was overwhelmingly against the concept. Yes. And could speak freely. And so all the scientists that I, the environmental scientists were all, when I was, you know, in my, what would it be, 20s, 30s, early 30s, were whooping it up and politicians were starting to whoop it up and the UN was starting to whoop it up. But scientists were sceptical. Yes, as they should be. And they could tell you that that scepticism, and then I noticed that if you wanted a research grant, you had to mention the magic words. Yes, Climate change, this this research will um, shed new light on climate change and the funds would flow. Yes. And your and then you witnessed the it started off subtle, where geologists who spoke out, particularly, or physical scientists who spoke out, would just drop down the picking order. Yes, they quietly disappeared, the voices, yes. Just and silent. some were literally forced out yes. of their profession. Yes. And now 
you would probably be on a disciplinary action if you spoke out at a university against the narrative. Oh, boy, yes. Most people, I think, three years ago would think we are loony bins. People still do think I am. <laughs> yeah, but don't you think the COVID changed it? Yes. Tell yes, it your, did. Tell us how you think that affected um, it. it my, people, the people who believed the climate change then saw this come along and thought, hang on a minute, and if they could see the COVID thing, they then could see the climate change thing. Mm. Um, and I think that's why they've ramped up the climate change thing a lot since then. It went quiet before then, and they've ramped it up a lot more to try and hold on to those who still believe it, because the COVID thing has actually woken people up to the climate and Thank it's it, it's it's woken us up to experts and the fact that they will yes, lie. Yes, yes, and that half the the experts that we've listened to through COVID were not mm. experts at all in their field. So, does that mean the experts in the CO two thing are truly experts as well? Mm. The um the other thing I noticed uh, at the start of the COVID was Michael Baker, and I forget the guy's name his mate down at Otago University, and they were writing about lockdowns and how we needed to lock down and how this would be a good kickstart to dealing with climate change. They sort of yes. managed to link the two. Yes, practice locking you down for the climate to save the climate. <laughs> now, here's the thing that I struggle with, and maybe you can help, and I'm sure listeners do too. The... Climate argument, like, has 350,000 reasons that they can toss at you why climate's changing. Bits of data, yes. predictions, authorities, this expert, that expert, just on and on and on and on. And amazingly, we've had 30 years of drip, drip, drip propaganda. Yes. Where skeptics were over time silenced and now don't even get a platform. No. And so people now just accept it. And if you question it, there's a huge psychological, you can see it in their eyes, cognitive dissonance. Yes. Is that what you experience? Yes, all the time. And um, when I do mention it to people, it's almost like they even they just don't want to know, even if it, even if I am saying, hey, it's possibly this instead, and it, this explains most of it, or nearly all of it. They're like, oh, we'll see. We'll just have to wait and see. And they almost don't even want to know that there is another reason out there that could explain it. I've got a theory that says if they accept 
what you're saying, the evidence or the lack of evidence would be a better way of putting it, mm. then it's not just changing your view of climate change. You actually have to change your view yes, of, of authority, yeah. of experts, of the media, yeah. and almost everything that you see around you. Yes, yes, your whole world will change in the way you need to live in it or, or be part of it. it has to change and people don't want to do that it's too hard they're too busy mm. i um spent a big chunk of my life looking at the evidence about climate change and continually having to debunk it in my mind, and then try and debunk it with people around me, and when I was a politician, you know, mm -hmm. out loud, to zero success. And I realized I couldn't understand it. And COVID was, if I, well, it, you know, one of the pluses for COVID that came out of it for me was it was like a foreshortened climate change experience. Yes, and that yes. I quickly realized the science, the data, and the evidence had nothing to do with it. Exactly. That everything revolved around propaganda. Yes, yes. You can show all of the science you like and the real data and nobody wants to know or it gets dismissed and called misinformation and yet it's there and it's real and it's true. Yeah. And 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 you'd say to people, well, what makes you think this virus is so deathly? Oh, yeah. it just is. It just is, yeah. Yet there's no one dying around them. <laughs> I saw it on TV in China. Yes. Um. And funny enough, like climate change, it's the clever people with credentials that are most readily taken in. It, yes, it is. It's been it's been so fascinating to see. Yes, I've got very close family and even friends who are very intelligent and um, well educated, who are in a coma still. Yeah. Do I, I got a theory that says if you're a credentialed person and you take it seriously, you believe other credentialed people. Yes. Yes. So yes. I have got a law degree and I'm very expert in my area of property law and I'm very scrupulous and I'm very careful because I'm a professional. And I look across at an epidemiologist or, you know, another professional, and I assume that they too are scrupulous. <laughs> yes, I've stopped thinking that a long time ago. Mm. Yeah. Now, the whole thing of climate change, this is the other great thing. It is so preposterous. Oh, 
Yes. I mean, it's not just that it's a bit wrong. It is a preposterous theory. And let me put it to you. I'm doing too much talking, but it, I'm apologizing. No, no, you're all good. Uh, no, my listeners will be jumping up and down at me. I'll be getting emails. <laughs> There'll be texts flying in. But I'm just sort of exploring it as a conversation because yes. um, it's preposterous because it has that kernel of truth that in the atmosphere provides a um, protection um, with the light rays. Mm-hmm. And there's that glass house or greenhouse effect and here we get that and the funny thing is you and i readily see that the overwhelming greenhouse gas is water yes and this co2 which is 350 parts per million when they started and is now 400 parts per million, an <gasps> absolute trace gas yep. in the atmosphere. Yes, not enough of it. No, we starved, <laughs> the Earth is starved of it when you look yes. at it. But running your motor car pokes it up, and then instead of the Earth following what we understand ecological systems to be, the reason that they've survived in a hair is that they have a homeostasis, that they sort of return to an equilibrium. Yes. This little bit of CO2, infinitesimal amount of CO2, is going to trigger the earth into a collapse. It's a preposterous story. It's Yes, totally. It just doesn't make sense at all. And when it's, 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 it's the gas of life. Yes, and we've all learned that. Yes. Oh, it's primary school, intermediate school science, and that seems to have been totally, totally forgotten. So it's the stuff of life because every living thing is made of carbon molecules. Yes. Yes. And plants have this incredible ability extraordinary ability to soak up the sun to pull up a little water and take in CO2 Mm -hmm. and make complex molecules and be a plant yeah it's it's fascinating stuff that I don't think kids today have that they don't get taught that and they don't get taught that um, amazement about that. And that's where the whole trouble comes because they just believe what they're told instead of going, but hang on a minute. Mm. This is what this plant does with all this stuff. It is amazing what you've just described. It's just nature's just brilliant. And I love saying to my kids, I love pointing out trees to my kids and say, how do you think that tree gets water all the way to the top? Yeah. It's exciting, right? Yes. And there is a thing called the carbon cycle. Yes. Where carbon goes round and round and round. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And cows 
um, because I'm a farmer, cows are actually a carbon sink and they eat the grass that has been made from the CO2 and they put that carbon into their meat, which then we Mm. eat. So Mm. that carbon has been drawn out of the atmosphere and cows are actually a carbon sink. But maybe Mm. that's why they use the methane issue with cows because they can't argue the CO2 issue because cows are a carbon sink. So when you look at and a, the only global warming, now, well, we should say, shouldn't we, and this is where they hook us, of course the climate changes. Oh, that's nature. That's natural. Yeah, so it's always changing, little ice age, the warm period, um, but all around, you know, um, you know, no one doesn't accept that there was an ice, there were ice ages, you know, 20,000 years ago, the bloody glaciers everywhere in New Zealand. And, yes. and, and of course, oh, and isn't it wonderful in geology, plate tectonics? Mm. Man, that is the most amazing theory of them all. Yes. And then there's more theories on top of that too that um, are still very new and new to people about an expanding Earth. Yes. But it's not obvious. It's just, it's like that there are more, there's more than one universe with Edwin Hubble. It's just astonishing. But it's not obvious when you're standing on the earth that you're on a floating plate. Yes, that's right. And it's and that then, thing. And it's actually those floating plates that give us mountains and rivers and life. Yes. Anyway, I digress with you. So, The only evidence I've ever seen of CO2 causing a problem is the output of a computer model. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Not even real measurements. (laughs) And that computer model is programmed to show there is a problem. Yes, it will only give out what's been entered into it. And if and, what's been put into the model is not correct, then you're going to get the wrong answer out. And it's a whole series of assumptions about an interaction between CO2 and water vapour. Yeah. And then it's a whole lot of rare bag observations that they wrap around to sort of make it look sciencey. And then there's an exaggerated conclusion where the worst possible thing that happens and time and time and time again, their predictions fall flat. Every single time. Not one has come true. Not one. No. No. Same model as, as who did COVID as well, funnily yes. enough. Funnily and enough. who did um, foot and mouth funnily in Britain. Enough. Funnily enough. Funnily enough. <laughs> funnily enough. All the same people involved. Yes. And so when you're a geologist looking at this, you know that at times 
CO2 wasn't at 400 parts per million. No. No. We had ice ages when it was 5,000 parts per million. Can you believe that? Before we were burning fossil fuels. Yes. And because our, I feel as I'm sort of leading you along, but it's just so interesting. (laughs) And our plants evolved in a time when there was higher CO2 than there is now. Yes, yes. You can look back at the Precambrian and see a huge CO2 spike, um, probably the highest that's been in the in um, the, the planet's lifetime. And then just after that in the Cambrian when we had the explosion of life and you had the huge big shells in the oceans floating around, those nautica shells and everything, well, they would have drawn all of that CO2 that was around to make themselves. And, and we had life exploded then because of that. And that's why our commercial growers with glass houses pump CO2 into their glass house. Yes. I mean, you couldn't, you'd need that to feed the plants to make them grow. And that's why we're in a famine now. And we'll be finding that that we can't grow enough food, um, enough crops and plants. My father's already... He's said that to me that he knows farmers who've noticed this season or last season, things weren't growing quite as well because the plants are actually starting to get hungry. Mm. And I always say too, how on earth did the dinosaurs live? Because most of them were vegetarian Mm. and they were huge animals. The CO2 levels back then must have been huge to grow those plants to feed the dinosaurs. And it wasn't an ice age. No. And so the... CO2 is a cycle, it's plant yep. food. Yes, it's gone up maybe 50 parts per million. It's had no measurable or discernible effect on um, climate. Um, and there's something else driving our climate. Yes, there is. Yeah, what's that? I call that the elephant in the room. And his name is Eddie. Mm. And that is the name given to the grand solar minimum that we are in right now that began in 2020. And it's the sun. And it's the sun. It's the sun. It's not you. It's not CO2. It's the sun. And tell us how the sun does. I mean, this is the big, it's a great, it's a great saying, and I want you to explain this because I'm a bit uh, fuzzy on this. There's this big sun out there. I only know it in miles because when I learned it, it was in miles, so I can't convert it to kilometres. It's 93 million miles away. Yes. Uh, I'll believe you on that one. <laughs> I don't know kilometres. <laughs> it is so hot. Yeah. At 93 million miles. We can lie on the earth and cook ourselves. Yes. But that's got nothing to do with climate change, Rodney. <laughs> and this sun, what is it? It's a thermonuclear explosion or fusion explosion. It's just continuously 
enraged in this astonishing process that is a little up and down. Yes, it has a heartbeat. Tell us about this. So um, I follow a very clever scientist called Valentina Zarkova, and she has calculated mathematically this grand solar minimum. So she doesn't put it into a model and hope that something comes out the other side that may happen. I have seen the maths she has done on it, and I am no mathematician, and boy, I'd hate to try and do it. She has mathematically calculated this grand solar minimum from 2020 to 2053. And she says that the sun has a heartbeat. And it's very interesting with all of her calculations that you can, on a, on a piece of paper, you could see that um, the activity of the sun increases for hundreds of years and it would look like a ball on a piece of paper. And then it decreases and it comes down to a very, very fine point, And that's where you get a minimum, a solar minimum. And then it would increase again. And then it would decrease. So it's like the sun is awakening and going to sleep, awakening and going to sleep, just like its own little heartbeat. And this, sorry, just to interrupt, this cycle in the sun isn't controversial, right? No, no. She's got her own particular analysis of it, but we have known for decades. Yes, it's known about. It is a cycle that happens every 400 years, a grand yeah. solar minimum, and there yeah. are smaller cycles every 11 years. Yeah. It's all known about. All known about, and the major explainer of climate. Yeah, yes, yes, because it, it affects the Earth's magnetic field, which then affects everything else and um, changes the jet stream, the ozone layer all sorts of different things which then change our climate. And in human-recorded history, we know of warm periods and cold periods. Yeah. Warm periods when they grew grapes in Scotland. Yes. And cold periods when the Thames froze. Yes. And they correlate to the sun cycle. Yes, they do. They do, they correlate with um, grand solar minimums or um, solar maximums. So a solar maximum is when it's warmer or we get more sunspots, which makes the planet warmer, and then solar minimums where we get less sunspots, the sun essentially kind of goes to sleep and we get generally cooler periods. Mm. And it's all written in history and it seems to repeat itself over and over at these same times. Funny enough, I'm guessing I just had this thought to sort of make it dramatic. If we didn't have the sun there, I'm guessing we'd be at minus 272 degrees Celsius. Yeah, we'd we'd be a um just a ball of ice. <laughs> Dead yeah. as a doorknob. Yeah. But the sun has nothing to do with it. It's all no, Celsius. no, nothing whatsoever, even though you could get a basketball. That could be the sun, and you get a pin, and the Earth is the pinhead next to that. Yeah. And to get the proportions, but the sun has nothing to do with it. And 
um, if you're on the dark side of the moon, you're pretty cold. Yeah. Um, it's so, and by the way, this lady who you follow with her equations, she's got a prediction about what's happening for the next few decades. Yes, she has calculated it out that it will, this will, um, this minimum will only be, she says only be three solar cycles, three 11 year cycles. So 30 years. It doesn't mean that we'll pop out at the end immediately warmer again, because of course these things happen gradually. Um, and she has calculated this. Some other scientists have said it may go for another three cycles. So it could possibly go for 60 years, but she's calculated. This could be this will be a 30 year, which funnily enough, isn't it interesting? They say these dates. She has calculated from 2020 to 2053, we will be in this minimum. And all the CO2 climate change, people see we say we need to do all of this and change all of that and go all solar and do things by 2050. Mm. So she's saying we're going to go colder. Yes. And Jim. that we we are going colder now. Yes, we are. We we are. We had a, a pause of temperature in the 90s, which is why they stopped using global warming and started climate change because it's all in the words, because they couldn't use the global warming anymore because we were pausing and we are in a cooling phase. We, we're dropping temperature. It's one of the most interesting things when you dig into this. Um, and... Uh, listeners probably done this and you get into a discussion with someone before they walk away angry about COVID <laughs> and you get into all this sort of what's the, the weeds of it like well how do they know that person died these people died of COVID right yeah because an old person dies and they have to record that they think they had COVID and then the newspaper reports another COVID death and you get so interested, like I do, I'm terrible. I got so interested in realizing um, it is when an old person dies, it's not obvious particularly what was the thing that triggered the death. That's right. Um, could have been a flu. It could have been a fall, any, fall, anything. But it all became down to COVID statistics. And people were dying in their 80s and 90s, and they were scaring us with the numbers of deaths. And then you get into things like um, the PCR tests and how you can get false positives. Mm -hmm. And um, and then you start thinking further and reading experts, and it gets so interesting because then suddenly um, you're sick, but you don't know it unless you have a test. And yes, yes. Um, it's not <laughs> obvious. Like, obviously, you could get cancer and not know that it's coming. Mm -hmm. But typically when you get the flu, you bloody know when you get yes, the flu. Yes, you do. And then you get into that. And there's all these little things that you start researching. And then there's this thing, um, you could be spreading this disease but not be sick. <gasps> and you're thinking, because that was the scary bit, right? Yes. Well, yes, for those who believe that. Yeah, but the idea that you can be without symptoms and then spread it. I'm just mm -hmm. going through the analogy here. Yes, yeah. And then I stick this shit into my arm, excuse me, 
<laughs> and it takes over cells in my body and starts producing a little protein structure of this virus that's supposed to be a killer. And yeah. don't worry, it'll just stay in your arm. And yes, no, we've just invented this in the last few months. And no, it's safe and it'll work. And it'll, and you're thinking, this is preposterous. Yeah. But it's every one of those analogies exists in climate change. Yes. Because yes. one of the things that I spent, there's that wonderful Anthony Watts, who I followed religiously for years, and he was an expert on weather stations. Okay. And I had no idea, because you tend to think that you know what the Earth's temperature is historically. Yeah. But we... We don't, you know, we're yeah. sort of measuring it by proxy. So when you're a geologist, you're measuring it by tree rings or something like that to work out what yeah. the temperature was thousands of years ago or core samples or whatnot. Yes. And in the last 150 years, say, I think it's 150 years, we've had thermometers. But they don't give you a 0.5 reading. <laughs> No, no. And it depends where they put them as well. Where they've put them. There's yes. some old guy going out. Is he doing it every day at 9 a.m.? And then, um, as you say, they tend to be next door to cities that are growing and creating an urban island effect, heating mm -hmm. the atmosphere. They tend to be by airports. And then you realise that they fiddle with the numbers to make up for all of that. And then it's, the whole thing comes down to the fiddle. And even then, on the official records, all the warming occurred before in the last 150 years before World War II. Then, as you say, it cooled yeah. after World War II, to the best of our knowledge, given the shonky measurements. Oh, and of course, these weather stations aren't spread uniformly around the earth. No, they used to be. There used to be more than there are now, and they've just quietly removed them. Yeah, it's crazy stuff. The, the, the whole idea of an Earth's temperature, and then they've got satellites which are uh, doing a better uh, measure, I think, since the 70s. But what they show is that it's, it's not happening. And so now they've got to argue, God, it's all coming back to me, that it's all the heat is disappearing into the ocean somehow. <laughs> And you're looking at this, and it is so preposterous, and yet on and on the propaganda goes. And so when yes. I'm meeting people, they just absolutely believe it. Now, what can you say to them? There's nothing you can say to them, actually, is there? No, no I actually don't really try because it's like putting 10 years of joining dots into one conversation and it's too hard to do you just have to oh it's like okay i just have to wait until one day something will happen that you will see it yourself the truth has to be realized it can't be told and you think that's true for covid yes for sure yes you can try all you like um and be as logical and have the proof of everything and 
people are just going to have to see it for themselves. There's, I don't know, will there be a point where they will trip themselves up, these people, with climate and COVID? I don't know, but it's... And then, and then you look and you sent me your wonderful presentation and then you look at what they're proposing to do to fight so-called climate change yes. or man-induced catastrophic climate change. <laughs> and it's as mad as locking Nana up. Oh, yes. Or as keeping your, was it two metres or three metres, I can't remember, watch and put a mask on your face to go out and stay indoors and don't go swimming to the beach. Or it's as mad as it. Growing trees, this is my favourite one, yeah. Growing trees and burying them in the sea. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all you can do is laugh. <laughs> but I, I don't. But people don't believe it. Or Bill Gates has got an idea in funding something that you fly planes around in the atmosphere and spray chemicals. Yes. Yes. You dim the sun and make it like a sunset all the time. <laughs> But the scary thing is what, what they're doing is going to make the grand solar minimums affect worse and maybe faster. Mm. And you get big multinational companies. I mean, this is happening now. Buying up land in New Zealand that's productive for food. Yeah. Growing pine trees mm -hmm. at a huge loss, destroying livelihoods and communities, they buy them out. Yeah. But only able to do that because of government subsidies. Yes, yes. And then these multinational companies can say, we're carbon neutral. Mm. But it's again, the, people, I, I can't, oh, it just. That is the, that is. Honestly, Joe, that is insane. It is insane. And people still believe it. And I just say to them, but they're taking away your food. Where are you going to get your food from while it's all covered in trees? While you're still believing the planets, you're going to fry and die. And, and, oh, I don't know. and here's another thing, right? There is no way. Well, first of all, the objective. Being carbon neutral is the stupidest goal yes. that anyone has ever proposed because we are organic. Yes, and we, what's the level? What's the neutral level? <laughs> what, what is that? There is absolutely no way that you can work out how much carbon dioxide has been new produced to make a pencil. Yes. Like, you don't even know, no one knows all the bits that go into a pencil. No. Right? And we have it that the government can say, oh, yes, this pencil is carbon neutral <laughs> or this product and tick, right? Yeah. 
we are being so lied to. Oh, openly to our faces. And that's what I don't understand how these people who don't see it still don't see it. They are saying it to your face. It's so absurd. And I think, yeah, the the, the COVID thing helped to push that along, that absurdity that people just believe everything now. You and I are going to get cancelled. They're coming for us, right? <laughs> I know. I did. So. I, I, have, now, I have said before, look out my presentation. If I disappear, you know why. Yes. I'm not feeling suicidal. Um, no. Now, think of this. We have the most beautiful, wonderful farmers. Yes. I love farmers. I love their families. I love the communities. And I love everyone that works around them. Yeah. yeah. I struggle with people who don't produce. Yeah. Particularly if they're an HR government departments, mm-hmm. councils, wangos, commissions, and in the professional fields, so much of what accountants and lawyers are doing is government make work, mm-hmm. anti-money laundering, measuring environmental impacts, and we're all living atop of a farmer, his or her family, and their community. Yes, yes. And so it's a scary thing as to why they're coming for the farmers, because if they underpin it all and they're gone, where do the rest of people go? Just look at what Silent and Mel did. What is happening is they're destroying the farmers. Yeah. And we have to understand that. Yes. And you sound... You sound mad when you say it. Yes. Because you think, nah, they just care about the planet and they're thinking long term and climate change. And this is this these governments and these agencies and the UN and all the hangers on, WEF and all that that are doing these crazy reports about how we must live are destroying our way of life. Yes. Do you see that? Is that what you see? Oh, definitely. Oh, yes. Um It really, and again, I just don't understand how people don't see it. They've been so far removed from nature that you can't survive unless you produce something. I have a a, a sort of theory, um, which is a low-level conspiracy theory, really. But when I say conspiracy, I mean that there's a, People meet and conspire. Mm-hmm. Oh and yes, pe- yes. Pe- if people... you're not in a conspiracy theory, you should start. <laughs> in a conspiracy, you should start one. 
Yeah, because people meet and conspire about what how they think the world should be. Yeah. And some people have the ear of governments and the media. But the one thing, if you look at recent history in New Zealand in the West, has been to undermine our independence. Yes. And to make us believe that we can't thrive and prosper without government help. That's right. We've been taught um, not really to grow up as someone else I, I follow who says we are just constantly behaving like children. We're infantilized. And yes. people need to actually grow up because and we you don't see, need there's to you on your farm yeah. with the house and sheds that you and your husband built. Yeah. But the rest of us think, oh, we'd need to get that checked by government. Yes. Right. Oh, we couldn't do that without help. And like we understand welfare dependency doing that. But we've actually got to the point where we can't move unless an official by law has checked the boxes. That's right. And yes. And I, my, my low-level theory is, is that farmers and farming communities and farming families are the very definition of independence. Exactly, yes. Always, and, and that is why in history the farmers have always been the ones they come after mm-hmm. because and they are the very essence of what it is to, to be human, to live with mm-hmm. nature. And we have literally demonized them. Yeah, just as they did in the in during the last grand solar minimum with the witch trials. They were blamed yes. on the climate. The farmers are now the modern day witches, I I say. Yes. And so farming is polluting our waterways. Yeah. It is destroying our with nitrogen. It is draining. They it was draining swamps. It was creating these monocultures. Farming is bad, terrible, terrible. And, and yet the farmers have done so much, but nobody comes out to actually have a look and see. Nope. And you have these infantilized civil servants, yeah, sipping their lattes with their laptops, poo-pooing what in America they called the deplorables. Yes. And what in New Zealand we called the river of filth. And thinking that you're sort of stupid and dumb and Neanderthal, mm. Neanderthal-like. And oh, just... now farming is pollutant. Because it produces methane. Yeah, which has nothing to do with anything as well. But I just, I kind of. Carbon cycle. Exactly. I smile at those people who sit there with their lattes. We have good friends who live in one of our biggest cities and have known us as farmers all our lives and still think we are bad people. Um, And I just sit there and think, hmm, your time will come because um, at least I'm going to still have food through this and where are you going to get yours from and I've got the skills to produce and make my own if I have to but where are you going to get yours from 
And that's all really that I can think because you can't, again, we've spoken, you can't change their minds. They think you're a low life, but I, I, I'm i not offended by that. I just sit there and, and, and I do laugh to myself and think, yeah, you couldn't survive if you really, really had to when that time comes. I love, I, I love, I love uh, farmers. My, my father was like a small time farmer and, um at times and then uh sadly he got very sick as a young man and had to sell the his small lot and he oh. drove trucks all his life but he drove trucks for farmers oh yes and so um i was brought up loving it and it was the resilience of farmers and farming communities. That's right. Yes. More than their skill. Yes. Because something breaks down and a farmer in those days just couldn't get on the phone and someone pop out and fix it. Yeah. The farmer would. Yes. Or they'd figure a workaround. Yes. You know, they were amazingly resilient. Yes, because you can't just up and run away. You've got no. animals that rely on you. You've got your property that relies on you. And up here on the mountain, when we first moved here, we had eight weeks of continuous rain and wind like I've never seen. The mountain kind of introduces you to it and tests you when people first move up here. And my late partner was a townie. And he wanted to put the place back on the market because he just could not get Isn't through that, that bad weather. He couldn't, he wasn't resilient enough. But when the sun came out, everything changed. And that's, you just can't run. You, you've got to stay and do it, which builds that resilience. I should add that, Joe Mackey, you're on Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. We're having a Real Talk with Joe Mackey, her husband, which she developed her farm, small farm with, passed away. And um, you're not a person to dwell on life's tragedies, but we feel for you, Joe. No, thank you. But that also, too, with farming, you can't lie to yourself. No. Isn't that a big thing? Yes. Nature's out there and nature, you, you can't. People, they try. There are farmers that try, and a lot of it, again, um, it's all the numbers and, you know, things have to look good and you have to look good to that farmer and you want to climb the ladder and be the best farmer and da-da-da. So there are those living in not the real world on their own farms. Um, but nature always wakes you up in the end and you you do get, it catches up with you eventually. So you don't have that certitude about what you know and what you what you know and how good you are that uh, in a city dweller working in an office building has yeah yes because you don't know what's going to come around the corner there is always something new and you think oh everything's brilliant and then out of the blue mm. no floods so, whatever oh dear there's a humility yes yes I think we had a better country, uh, obviously, 50 years ago. 
Yeah. And in part, it may have been that our politicians were all farmers. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes. Real people understood how, how how things worked. Yes. And unfortunately, yeah, there's we're becoming few and far between around the world now. If you had someone listening who was thinking, gee, these guys are mocking and taking the mickey out of climate change and us what we have to do and sign up for, i.e. come under tyrannical control mm-hmm. in order to defeat climate change. I had I read in 1992 um, a book on climate change and it had a, a preface by the late Professor Aaron Valdosky, and he was a professor of public policy at Berkeley. And it was a very evocative preface, and he was a very distinguished uh, professor. Funnily enough, I think the book may have been by Richard Lindzen, who I hadn't really heard of, or I went on to meet him. He was a great climate, he is a great climate change um, skeptic and probably the most published um, climate change person. But Anvil Dosky said this. Can you imagine? This is 1992. He said, with global warming, as it was then called, the environmentalists have hit, I don't know whether he used the word the mother load or gold or um, pay dirt. Okay. Because he said, if you can convince people. Yeah that you have to control CO2, you control everything. Yes, because it is the gas of life. It is the gas of life. It's a gas of industry. Yeah. Yes. And it's worked. When I read that, I was shocked. Yes. Because I knew it was preposterous, right, by then. What's that, 30 years ago? And yet he was foreseeing that this was a clever move. Yeah. Which tells you what is this about? It's about tyrannical control. Yeah. There's no other explanation. And exactly. um, um if you if you wanted, if you're listening to this and you're thinking, whoa, you know, this is how do I get to understand how this is a uh, a stack of cards? What would you recommend people do that are listening? to read or to go to on the internet, do their own research? Where would they go? Um, well, um, probably one of the best books is by Ian Plymer, P-L-I-M-E-R, yes. and he's an Australian geologist. You would have heard of him. Yes, and of his course. book, How to Get Expelled from School, is a very <laughs> – it's fantastic, especially for school kids and their parents, um, and it's the basics of – the bullshit of climate change, and he has done another book that's very detailed with that. But um, yes, so that book's a good I'm, one to start. With. I'm going to get that book. I, I've got my kids into so much trouble. There's a American books are quite expensive about the Tuttle Twins, and it's, oh, yes. a, it's a series of books written by a libertarian on free market economics for kids. And it sort of distills the work of Milton Friedman and Hayek and von Mises um, down into these little stories that are kids' stories. And a friend, I say friend in quotation marks after this, sent these books off to my kids and they read them and loved them, right? 
oh man, did they get to trouble at school? <laughs> because <laughs> my little girl was at school and they were all doing posters and the teacher had them campaigning against um, child labor, right? Yeah. And my little girl's, and she says, but hang on, isn't the problem poverty? <laughs> and everyone, everyone said, what do you mean? Well, if you stop buying things that are made by kids, um, how are they going to, their family's going to survive? Yeah. And then she explained that in the England, and even in New Zealand in the early days, when you were poor, your children had to work. Yes, yes. And imagine have always worked on farms as well. Imagine if you said back in eighteen hundred, I'm not going to buy anything made with child labour. How would that help? She said, and. Wow. She got a very, very stony silence. So I understand the title, How to Get Your Kid yeah. from School. And there's actually a 100 questions in the back of the book that he's written that you can ask your teacher oh. at school and wind them up. Any teacher. Yeah. So, well, well, the other famous question my daughter asked recently last year was, we watched the great Matt Walsh documentary on what is a woman. Oh, Yes. And they were getting their health lessons and they were explaining how you can switch genders because there's gender identity and then there's biology, which no farmer would believe. Oh, and, oh <laughs> and my daughter did the Matt Walsh question and she said, so that chop laying in here could really be a rooster. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, do you have to get your kid expelled from school? Joe Mackey. I hope people don't mind that you and I have engaged more in a conversation because of my enthusiasm than an interview. Yes. No, it's fantastic. But we've enjoyed the conversation. Yeah. I hope our listeners have. And do email me and tell me off. <laughs> um, but it's been a wonderful time. And we've covered a lot of ground. Yeah. So thank you for that. And no, thank, thank you. you for being a farmer. Thank you. Producing the wealth of New Zealand. And we admire your resilience because you milk your cow and drink the milk and make yes, the cheese. Make the cheese and make the butter. Yes. You make butter. Yes. And Is that geez. hard? No, it's just time consuming. But I've got yeah. all the equipment. You don't do it by hand. Um, I do. Um, I do make the butter by hand. I've got a cre um, electric cream separator, but I do okay. spin the butter in an old. I went to an antique shop and got a butter churn. Wow! And I do that by hand. Yes. Well, we can't secure raw milk where we live, and we're very upset because our kids grew up for ten years on raw milk. And yeah. They're extremely healthy, and we put it down to that every day having that beautiful milk. Um, yeah, definitely. Not the, not the rubbish at the supermarket. Another thing the they've just removed from us, yes. Yeah, and they prosecuted the farmers that were selling us the milk who were doing yes. their utmost to comply with the regulations. Yeah. Tell me, 
do you make sourdough? Um, I not all the time. I try. It's I did that was one of the first things I started doing to become independent was make my own bread. And sometimes my sourdough doesn't always work. So I just make normal bread most of the time because I'm probably more busy now as the farm's yes. growing. And I'm also a trail angel for the Tiararoa Trail. So um, I'm busy with walkers over the summertime. And, and so there's a lot going on that the sourdough just, if it doesn't work, goes out the window. Oh, well, I'm an expert on sourdough. Are you? Oh, yes. well, we need to I, swap I, then. I, I, we should do a show where you interview me about sourdough and I'll talk for hours. Yes. Okay, Joe. You're on uh, Reality Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Again, um, I guess that was more of a conversation than an interview, for which I apologise. But Joe was very engaging and I was engaged probably too much, you know. <laughs> you can send me a text at 2057. You can send me an email inbox at realitycheck.radio. And what a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful woman and what wonderful people we have in New Zealand. Um, and prepared to speak out. You're listening to Real Talk on RCR, Reality Check Radio.